Hello friends, welcome to episode 132 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I am Sarah. And I'm Rob. Do we remember how to do a podcast, I Rob? almost totally forgot. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're, we're, we're missing our time, my, my tablet was shut off, like... <laughs> barely squeaking in under the wire. Yeah. What do we even do anymore? You guys had uh, a had a great week off. Uh, I did. At Disney. I did. It was fantastic. Um, I will say that uh, if you have the inclination and the time, go down and check out Star Wars Land. The Rise of Resistance ride was a wonderful display of Disney's Imagineering and engineering that they put into rides. Granted, I mean, it takes them a long time to put it in, so it's probably like, you know, five years old as mm-hmm, far as tech mm-hmm. goes, but... It's still like amazing to watch, and it was an experience to be in, much more so than anything I'd been in. That's amazing. So That's amazing, yeah. yeah. And it was a wonderful, relaxing time. It was. We just had a really, really good time down there. Yeah, man. Especially like I know uh, work has been absolutely hell for the last like two months for you. Yeah. So it was good. It was, that, good that you could get away with. It was good. very nice, and it was nice being able to go with friends and and share laughter and all kinds of shenanigans that mm-hmm. happened. It was it was really good. The, I think one of the coolest parts is one of our our friends uh, who is a well grown man uh, turned into a four year old on Rise of the Resistance. It oh, was I believe awesome. it. It was it was totally awesome. I absolutely believe it. That yeah. he could not communicate with words. It was all just giddiness. So. <laughs> Very electrical, very electrical. Good, so. good, man. Yeah. Uh, so this week, uh, I don't know if you want to jump, probably jump right in the topic. We should, honestly. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a long big. topic here. Um, it's a lot longer than I thought it would be. So uh, I, I know the, the, the Halloween season is, is technically over. Yes. But that doesn't mean we have to stop being spoopy. No, no. Spoopiness continues. Um, after talking about uh, Call of Cthulhu uh, mm-hmm. last month. Yep, yep. Uh, we're kind of uh, continuing the survival horror theme. Well, I I almost wanted to go in with another edge on this, and that is is that we are going into the dark of winter, and therefore we're stepping into the dark of sci-fi. Oh. So when there's things in the dark like aliens, you know, aliens. Yeah. You know, complete. Uh, with quotes there. Uh, you you start to wonder. So we decided uh, actually a couple months ago that we were going to do this one. Uh, and I had not looked at the core game system at all, mm-hmm. um, but I had an idea of kind of what it was about, and I had I'd read some reviews and some people's some other uh, game GMs who who had run one shots and and tried some campaigns and struggled. Um, so it was kind of half hearted stepping into it, like okay, what are we really getting into? What kind of system are we looking at? But looking at it, I, I kind of turned around a little bit. So. Oh yeah, no, no, I uh, I had done a little bit of research um, uh, in around when we were doing uh, uh, stuff on Traveler and mm-hmm. we were doing stuff on Call of Cthulhu. Of course, we were talking about, uh, uh, or we were watching videos from friend of the show, Seth Skorkowski, mm-hmm. and Alien is another one of his big uh, his big uh, uh, things. Yeah, and he just did it last month, I want to say, or the month before? Uh, I don't remember how long ago it was. It was I, I know he, he's kind of had ongoing things. He's done yeah. reviews of like some of the modules and stuff of like that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. When, when we were doing research for those other shows, I was already on Seth's channel, so yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm curious. I'm going to check out the Alien thing here, and it... Uh, he kind of went over it, and like it seemed very intriguing. Um, went back, uh, watched some of those videos, uh, watched a couple other uh, from from a couple other different sources to kind of get the cross, mm-hmm. you know, the the review from across the, the spectrum there. And uh, I gotta say, I'm very impressed with the system. Okay. Well, let's let's take a step back and talk a little bit about the history, because not everyone, I'm going to say, not all of our listeners, and even some who maybe listen to us in the far sure. distant future, you know, uh, may not be aware that uh, that we are talking about canonic alien or aliens, as the series ends up being called, right. based off of the 1979 movie by Ridley Scott, correct, and follow-up movies in of Aliens in 1986, Alien Three in 1992. And we'll say Alien Resurrection in 1997. Um, well, the reason reason I've got asterisks by that one on the list is because it's not considered canon in the game right. system. Um, also, but Prometheus and Alien Covenant are the more recent movies, movies. yeah, from 2012 yep. and 2017. And kind, but they're but they're predecessors in in canon to Alien in some ways. Right, they're prequels. Yeah, um, and technically are part of the canon, mm-hmm. uh, and and very much so because it speaks more to. Not so much the aliens, but the engineers, which is a whole other race, I will say. It's a, it, although that's a, a rough way of saying it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, 
Um, what we're focusing on is the 2019 release by uh, Free League Publishing. There were previous editions of the game uh, that was done in the heyday of um, uh, the early 80s. Um, and those were... Bad. I was going to say rules complex for no good reason. Uh, yeah, it was... Um... Uh, I'm trying to remember who it was made by. I actually pulled the book out yeah, the other day. Yeah, you um, had it. I was surprised you didn't I, bring it to I have it. I, yeah. I meant to bring it, and I just it, it it's all right. passed my mind. But, um, yeah, it, they, they put out an Aliens game. It was basically based around, like, being a colonial marine and going yeah. and fighting. It was very heavily combat-based. Very tactical, and, very combat. Uh, apparently it used the Phoenix Command rules set. Okay, yeah. Um, it was published in, like, 1991 or something like that. Yeah. I want to say 19, 1991. Uh, and it was just, yeah, just needlessly complex. Yeah. Um, intricate little heart, uh, chart, lo- you know, hit mm-hmm. chart locations and stuff like that. Like, yeah. you get a very realistic, very simulationist. Yeah, le- leaning more toward the Palladium super charts. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um. But the book is a decent sized book. Um, the core book on this it's three hundred ninety two pages, um, and it is set in the universe in twenty one eighty three. And if I remember correctly, it puts it right after the events of Alien Three. Yes. So we are. So if you're familiar with the Alien movies, you have your your Ripley timeline mm-hmm. effectively, uh, and all the events that she went through into and including uh, the Foundry. Yes. Uh, that she ended up on uh, of the prison colony. Mm-hmm. And all of those events have just transpired, I want to say, within five years. Five to ten years. It's it's somewhere right around there, yeah. Um, yeah. So we're dealing with a pretty cu- close timeline with those movies, which which is great. Because if you're trying to get your players into the feel of the universe, you've got it. You've got material mm-hmm. ready to go, which is great. Not to say that the book doesn't add a lot. On its own, of giving you more of the setting. No, the the book the book uh, does a great job of fleshing out the setting, um, uh, and uh, brilliant artwork in there. The formatting is amazing, and there's just tons of lore on all the alien species. There's like four whole pages dedicated to just describing the engineers. Mm-hmm. They don't give any stats for them because the engineers are long since extinct. Yes, uh, but. Um, they they really go into depth about uh, about them and about the lore and how to use you know plot lines for them in your in your stories. Right, right. So the general feel of of this world as total um, is it is sci fi horror, mm-hmm. um, but it is grim sci fi. So you're dealing with you know horrific capitalism. Um, everybody's a pawn of some corporation. There aren't really independent people. It isn't the the happy, you know, I wouldn't say happy, but the hunky-dory, you know, people on the bleeding line, you know, that, uh, like, Firefly gives you, where you've got, like, a, 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 you've got people doing their own thing out on the rim. Yeah. You know, this is, everything is owned, everything is being mined, you work for someone else at all times, like, you, you, there, there is no self. Yeah, the, the movies, it really captures the feel of the movies a lot, of where um, everybody's just kind of a lowly space trucker. Yeah. Who essentially earns space minimum wage mm-hmm. and is just some expendable pawn of some inexorable corporation. Yeah, I mean, there are NPCs who sit in these lofty seats who are still pawns of someone else. Right. But they can drink wine and wear white clothing and that stays white. You don't even see these NPCs. You no. just get a line of text to some middle management that says, everybody here is expendable, bring home one of the aliens. Yeah, I mean, you know? I think that's the difference is, is that, like, you look at... Uh, high fantasy where you meet nobles and kings and, uh-huh. and you get to see them in you know your your high priests in their gold and white robes with their you know golden staves and orbs these people don't even talk to you mm-hmm. like i'm sorry you might get to talk to the dirty captain of the guard maybe yeah that's why like I, when i watched uh prometheus it was a little bit jarring to see guy pierce as yeah. uh mr wayland because yeah. it was like Wait a minute, hold on. Why are we even seeing upper management? Like yeah. these guys should be completely unknowable. You know, it's yeah. it's, it's weird. It is, that on screen. and it, it it kind of throws the setting. But I mean, if you're buried in the setting, and you see that moment. You're like, oh, crap. It should have some gravitas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's. I mean, it, it speaks a lot to some of the other. Uh, like even the uh, Blade Runner, which is connected, mm-hmm. uh, in a canonic way. Um with Waylon, um, but much farther in the future, um, or 
Blade Runner's in the past, technically. Yeah. Um. So it's uh, but it's neat that like even in that world, we hadn't reached the point where the high of the high don't get seen. Yeah, right, right, right. You know, they're still making contact with middle management, effectively. Mm-hmm. You know, even if they are just assassins. But we are now beyond that. We are so many layers beyond that, that yeah. they've got a wall of bodies between you and whoever, you know, Harkonnen leader is at the top of the pile, you know? Dune reference. Very nice. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, so. The other thing I really like about the about the setting is the sort of retro sci-fi um, mm-hmm. sort of aspect to it. Um is like all the 1980s technology is like what's out there in space. Oh god, you know? yeah. Um and it's 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 real cool from just a stylistic standpoint, but at the same time it kind of makes sense because that stuff is very easy to repair. Yep. Um whereas, you know, getting, you know, touch screens and holographic displays out on some backwater planet when you're a minimum wage trucker. Right. You know, you're not getting that. You're not getting that. No, like, you literally look at the cheapest, lowest level trucker and see what's in his truck. You and get then an compare Atari that 2600. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. That guy's got a Nintendo strapped to an alternator on a little, like, <laughs> C- CRT screen that he's got propped up in the corner. He might have an LCD screen. Yep. You know, that is effectively what you're dealing with. Yeah. Your Marines don't have laser guns, they got bullets. Mm-hmm. And those bullets are not cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, they literally have to count all of their rounds before they go on their runs. Now, are, is there stuff using the Duraplex armor and stuff like that? Sure, because it's, it's quick to manufacture, and it's the same thing that hulls are made out of, you know? But you don't have fine ballistic armor with, like, specialized tracking stuff. It's going to break down. It's mm-hmm. crappy, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I, it's that gritty feel. Uh, but the, the, the big thing, too, uh, is that this is primarily a horror game. Uh, you got to keep that in mind. Like, as far as the setting and feel, you can lean as much into the sci-fi as you want. It's definitely a space-faring game. It's definitely a futuristic game and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But this isn't like this isn't Traveler. No, you know, this is this actually has a lot more in common with a game like Call of Cthulhu and how it plays out mm-hmm. than it does something like Traveler or The Last Parsec or something right, like that. Right, right. Um, and I I think that kind of steps into how they uh how they break free in the mechanics even. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's neat that they paint it in two directions right off the bat on how to tell a story. Yes. That you get cinematic or campaign. Mm-hmm. Now, campaign is what we're used to. Sure. A bunch of characters leveling up, going through a series of events, completing challenges and things, and becoming people as they move through it. Mm-hmm. Whereas the cinematic is, here are your characters. We're giving you an outline for who they are and how they play. This is the scenario you're in. And you may not make it out of it, which is why your character's kind of a pre-gen expendable. <laughs> right, right. It, it brings it much closer to a very quick game that is closer to a movie. You're not yeah. going to play this character on from yes. here. It ends with this game session. Uh, so the rule system itself is actually uh, the Year Zero rule set. Right. Uh, and I hadn't heard of this before, but uh, I'd heard of the games that it's attached to. Um, uh, it's uh, by Free free League Games. Right. Um, they came up with this rule set. Um, uh, it was actually originally invented for the Mutant Year Zero, hence the Year Zero set. Right. Uh, but it's also used for Tales from the Loop. And I've heard of Tales from the Loop. So that's why I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'd heard Tales from the Loop. I'd heard of Mutant Year Zero, but just like in passing. Yeah. And you know what I was surprised to find on Free League's list? Mork, uh, Morkborg. Yes. Yes. I It utterly slipped my mind that they were the ones that made Morkborg. Yep. And I, yep. was, I was very glad to see that it kind of came back around to that one. Yep, yep. So um, the, 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 it is a lighter system yeah but still but still has some meat to it sure um it's got four attributes Mm -hmm. um you've got your agility stealth wits and empathy which i think are i mean you when you slim down attributes that's pretty much what you get uh and then you have uh the skills related to those which are very you know which which fit very cleanly Mm -hmm. um and your pools are based upon your stat plus your attribute and it's a very simple D6 system. It's yeah, you roll as, six, many, as many D6 as your stat plus your attribute, and... Sixes are successes. That's it. If you get more than more than what you need, those are now bonus successions and create stunts. Stunts, or, yeah, raises. Or more damage, you know. Yeah. 
in some cases. Um, the one thing that they change and shift off of is the one thing that I think is really neat about this system because it fits very well with what we talked about last month, and that is they added stress. Uh-huh. And it feels a lot like sanity. Uh, it really does. It really does. Um, I like that they call it stress, though. Yes. Um, because it, it has less of a, I don't know, an on-the-nose connotation as, uh, as sanity does. Like, sanity sounds like it's much more grand than stress. People get stressed out all the time. They go insane very rarely, you know? Um, but basically, your stress is just on a 1 to 10 track. Um, and anytime something awful happens, uh, you suffer damage, you end up going without sleep, food, or water. Mm-hmm. Um, party mem- members are revealed to be androids uh, because synthetic humans are a thing. Right. Um, and they're not always known to you. You see an alien. You see an alien. Uh, <laughs> or probably the most common thing is pushing roles. Which I think is cool. Uh, because, so if you fail a roll, you can try again. You just have to mark a stress. Because it's frustrating to fail, and now you've got to redo it. Right. Um, so basically, sanity just builds up. You just you mark a, ch- a check, stress. A check, check, or sorry, uh, yeah, stress. Let's see, you got me going on this I one. I do, I do. Uh, stress just kind of builds up. You've got a, like I said, a 1 to 10 track, so you just check a box. Mm-hmm. And then anytime you make a roll, you there are two different types of dice you're going to be using. Right. Now, you don't have to have the special dice. Um, but you do want to have two different types of D6. Colors, some some way to de- to designate. Easily designatable, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anytime you make a roll, you add in a number of your stress D6 uh, equal to your current stress rating. Right. Now, this, so you've got maybe two in strength, one in close combat that's going to give you three dice, but you've got two stress. You're rolling five dice, two of which are stress dice. Right. So... The heightened adrenaline of being stressed out and stuff like that is going to add more dice. It's actually going to make you more capable of succeeding at things. But. But. There's always a but. If any of those stress dice come up as a one, you have to roll on the panic table. Now, panic table basically goes from very little things to very heavy things. Yes. Um, One to six is literally you keep it cool. It's literally nothing happens. You start getting to seven uh, and like little things start happening. Maybe you'll drop the item you're currently holding or maybe you'll you'll just flee for a turn and hunker down and hide or something. Um, As you start getting higher and higher, you get up into you scream your lungs out. You flee until you cannot flee anymore. You go berserk and start attacking the thing that made you panic until you until it is dead or destroyed. Um, and basically you're just going to roll your stress plus a D six and see what it comes up with on that, on that thing. So rolling a panic check with one stress, not a huge deal. Probably mm-hmm. not much is going to happen. Right. Rolling a panic check with eight stress. Mm-hmm. You're already into full wig out territory. Yeah. Now I, I did read a number of things where people were talking about the stress system and that they, uh, they didn't necessarily like it because okay. it, kind of took away player agency in some ways because now you're not reacting to something the game mechanic is telling you how to react to something and i i looked at that and i said that is no different than poison or toxins or 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 fatigue or anything like that where you're you're given a reduction or you're being told like you, you you'll lose grip on something you know whatever it's it's a it is a mechanic, but I don't think it's any different than those. Yeah, I agree. Realistically, and I think in some cases it's helping people understand the setting that you're in and gets you deeper into the setting. the The other thing too is that panic in and of itself is an involuntary response. So yes, a, a random chart should tell you how your brain, when it is gone into full flight or flight mode should be reacting. Yeah. Like, that should I mean, be taken out of your... That's not a conscious decision yeah. you get to make. I've been at tables where players have argued about the fear before before 5th edition changed how the very simplicity of how fear worked. Mm-hmm. Like, you were afraid. Okay? You will not attack this target. People would be like, well, I'm just gonna get behind this rock over here then. I won't be attacking him, but I can do that. Now it's, you will flee in a direction as far, you know, like, there's, it's spelled out in text. People are like, well, that's not, you know, that, that's that's terror. 
No, that's how the mechanic works. Yeah. Deal with it. It just says you're... It's, we're helping you because you were trying to exploit the system. Look, also, you know. it's magic. Yeah. You know? Deal. Exactly. It's no It's no different than hold person. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so it is a mechanic, yes, but it's also pointing out how the system is showing you how stress works. But the thing, though, is it, when, you, when you're looking at the, at the panic table, too, it, mm-hmm. um, it also lends itself to more gameplay. Totally. Um, because... I mean, yeah, sure, you've got your involuntary reactions and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but then there's other stuff where, like, it says, okay, you reduce your stress by one after you scream your lungs out. Great. But everybody in, you know, within earshot of you raises their stress by one. Right. Because you have just created a horrific moment for them. Mm-hmm. You've shared your horror with them, yep. you know? Um, wow, suddenly I'm thinking of the Breakfast Club. <laughs> Well, I actually, I'm, I was thinking XCOM. Agreed. Okay. First okay. time I, first time I ever tried, first and last time I ever tried to play XCOM, uh, a uh, uh, an alien uh, did some mind stuff on the first guy who activated him, um, panicked him. He turned around, fired his missile launcher into the other two guys, which exploded the car that the fourth guy was hiding behind. Team wipe. Team wipe on yep. first turn. Yep. Yep. So <laughs> very typical XCOM, or the or the traditional. You have a ninety nine percent chance of hitting this guy. Miss. You miss. Yep. <laughs> yep. Seen seen some really bad stuff. But there. synthetics are an option for this game. You yeah. don't have to play them, and your DM can definitely remove them. That's that's something that is often. But because they're synthetic, they can't push. Well, they they can't push, but they also don't suffer stress. Right. So. Uh, they're immune to all of that mm-hmm. because they're cold and calculating. But they, all, like you said, they can't they can't push their rolls. So once they fail fail a check, that's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, health is pretty simple and straightforward. It's just your strength score. Um, when your health hits zero, is when you get an injury. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good way of handling it too. Whereas health isn't your total body; it is just how much you can handle. Before you're you're falling into injury, it's your it's your typical kind of like your some of your superheroes or or heroes in movies can take a bullet or two, you know that doesn't really change them, but you know they take that that extra one to the shoulder and now that arm isn't working right, you know, or they, they you know and they have to wrap up their hand and 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 there's clearly an injury involved, but you you know they they can take so much whereas. Other people take as much as a paper cut, and suddenly they're you know paper you know they're they're done. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. They fold it over. So I think it shows how health should be handled in that sense. Well, it also it also lends itself to sort of a cinematic amount of randomness. Right, um, right. Where uh, because we're not we're not dealing with like hit locations and no. like that level of crunchy realism and stuff like that. So you know if you if your your health drops to zero you're rolling an injury table maybe you just you know it hit you in the shoulder and now your you know your arm is messed up yeah or maybe it got you right in the chest and pierced your heart and you're instantly dead before you hit the ground yep maybe it hit you upside the head and your your eye is now messed up or your hearing is messed up because mm-hmm. it caught your ear yep you know one way or another but but it adds it adds that sort of randomness to mm-hmm. it where you roll on the injury table and you see what happens and then you role play what you know what the results are Yep. Afterwards, without having to get into hit locations and stuff. Um, recovery is also slow, but possible, and I really liked that. Um, uh, it's a little bit of a departure from, we compared it to Call of Cthulhu earlier, uh, where recovery is still slow, um, but I think it's maybe a little more forgiving um, than, than Call of Cthulhu was. Uh, so you can kind of get those cinematic moments where, like, unless you've got an alien pounced on top of you, ensuring your demise, mm-hmm. you know, um, where you might be able to, you know, if you can get away and close off an airlock or something like that, sure, you're still at zero hit points and your arm is broken and you've got blood dripping down your face and stuff like that. But you close that blast door and you've got that moment of safety. Maybe you can collapse in that room and just chill. Yeah. Take a breather. Take a breather. Regain yep. like a hit point, mm-hmm. but you may be able to continue on. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, I think I, I will say this: if I were to extract something from a system, I think I might extract stress. Yeah, because I think it's a great system, and I think it's easy that you could add that into other systems. Yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. So, uh, but continuing, you also have like resources in this game, like food and water. Air, power. Right. And um, again, those are abstracts. Right. So you're just going to have like a rating in them, right? Right. Like a five. Sure. Okay. So you have five food. Right. 
And that just represents the amount of food you have on hand. Mm-hmm. Anytime it's cinematically appropriate to do so, you roll your resources. And you roll that many stress dice, and anything that comes up a one, you lose. Mm-hmm. And so I roll my five dice for food. Two ones come up. I now have three food. And until I can replenish that, you know. Now, something like food, maybe if you're on the ship, okay, that's not that big of a deal. But if you're EVA... If you're if you're out walking yep. in space in a space You've got suit, air. and your air starts ticking down, well now you start worrying. Yep. Yep. You're out in the wilds and your power starts ticking down for your lights that are keeping the weird alien bugs away. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And I, I, I like that. I like that feel. I like that edge. And if you're looking to just add that edge to a game, I think you could very simply do it with this. Yeah. And it's and it's it's very it's so rules light. It's so quick to do, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. without all the little micromanagement. Um, we're going to talk about uh, uh, combat in a little bit, but um, they do uh, ammunition very much the same way where you don't track ammo. It's just that when certain dice come up certain ways, it's determined that your clip is empty and you need to reload, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and so the, that's, that sort of stuff is all over this game system, and I just absolutely love that. Yeah. So character creation. We'll try and hit this because it's pretty quick. It's honestly very quick, yeah. Um, you basically have careers instead of classes, um, which function the same way. Marines, marshal, company agents, kid, medic, those kinds of things. Um, and they they kind of are classes um but they differ in that it gives you a key attribute which i think is a wonderful way of doing it that mm-hmm. can push it up uh and provides some skills uh right off the bat and i think that's a great way of doing it because it it gives you exper- experience in a direction to put your character in that in that mind frame mm-hmm. uh very quickly um you then have 14 points to spend um on your attributes, uh, so that uh, attributes and, and skills, and yeah. skills um, which is nice because again, you could go attribute light and skill heavy, sure. or or mix and match. Um, you also have talents. Mm-hmm. Now that was the only thing that I was like, kind of, I, I didn't get a good look at. So uh, each uh, each career um, has a list of three talents that are unique to it. Okay, you start with one of them. Oh, okay. Um, and then uh, through advancement, if you're going to be, uh, be playing a campaign, uh, you can have the opportunity to pick up the other two from your career, but there's also a pool of 31 general talents that you okay. can also take. So are these, kind, do they kind of sit more as like advantages or feats, uh, like as we're used to? Yeah, they're more like more like feats or edges okay. um, from a lot of different systems where they just allow you to um, special um, use of a skill or something like that that's outside of the ordinary Gotcha. Rules, gotcha. Okay. A fun trick you can do. Yeah. Okay. 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 So that's kind of where those tricks can kind of come in. Yep. Okay. Um. Beyond that, you know, we, we spoke about health was the health is the strength score and your equipment kind of comes from your career. Yeah. Generally, it's a few starting items and then uh, some. It's, it's a lot like D and D. Right. Star, starting items plus one D four times a hundred gold. You know, sort of. Right. Sort of thing. And then there's the personal agenda. Yeah. Which, in the single shots, is handed to you. Sometimes at cross purpose mm-hmm. with other players, which is which is where you get the kind of murder mystery or 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 you know backstabby yeah. or kind of feel uh, of those games. And there's definitely a lot of that going on where you might have somebody who's an agent for the corporation who's masquerading as a doctor because he's there to get something, mm-hmm. or someone else who's there to 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 basically find out who the murderer is regardless of what's going on. You know, yeah, exactly things like that exactly. that can then really mix it up and then. When you do, when you shift that to a campaign mode, that you, you kind of have to shift your mind frame a little bit. Yeah, um, you can you can kind of choose your own personal agenda. A lot of times, you want to work with your storyteller or the uh, the the game mother, as they call them. Yes. Um, in this, uh, and uh, this is where a lot of the really interesting role play can come from. Um, now, one of the cautions I've heard from a lot of different people is that you have to. You kind of have to prepare your players and make sure that they're okay with maybe a little PvP interaction. Go on. Because sometimes your personal agendas, like you said, maybe sell out the entire rest of the group, you know, to to make sure you can capture an alien or something, you know? Right. Um, great examples of personal agendas in play, if you've seen the movies, um, are Ash from the first movie, mm-hmm. who receives a notice that... Uh, if they have an alien on board, um, the, capturing that alien and bringing it home is priority number one. Crew expendable. Right. 
Uh, and so he actually does. He tries to kind of kill off the crew so he can bring the alien home. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing in the second movie with Burke. Right. Uh, spoilers for a 1986 movie. Um, with Burke, where he has his secret agenda is try to sneak one back through quarantine. Yeah. And he does that by trying to get both uh, Ripley and Newt uh, face hugged. Right. So he can get him get him in. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. Um, and then they threw in signature item, which I've seen in other game systems. D and D kind of throws this in there to give you something to attach to your ba- own personal background. Yeah. Um. But I I like that it actually has an in-game mechanic that it also reduces stress. Yeah, yeah, interacting with it, um, you know, it may be like a photo of a loved one or like your autographed baseball from a famous player. Yeah, I'm I'm remembering from the first movie or the second one where the pilot's got a photo next to it and he he literally like takes, kisses his thumb and puts it on it. Uh Uh-huh. It, it, during it, it was it was a callback to that moment in my mind. I was trying to remember which movie that was in. So yeah, absolutely. Um. So combat, combat. Yeah, combat's combat seems pretty fast, furious, and and fun. Honestly. Um. So your ranges in this first off are abstract. Uh, unlike a lot of our more common games nowadays, where you're using like a five foot grid, like D and D and stuff like that. Um, you're gonna use abstract zones, mm-hmm. almost a lot more like you do in Fate. Um, zones are basically approximately like 25 meters big at their biggest, could be smaller, could be narrower or whatever. Um, but essentially they're areas in which a, uh, a combat encounter could take place. Yes. And, and the way that they were talking about that with the, uh, engagement and range, Mm -hmm. like what the distance and difference is. Again, it's it's a little abstract, but not completely enough that you're not like, well, where am I? Right. Uh, if, they're, if they're in the same zone as you, mm-hmm. um, they're either at range right. or they're engaged. And, and that's in melee. Right. And even just prior to combat, there is like, it's not a, it's a stealth time. Mm-hmm. So you may be slinking around in the halls and, you know, you're not actively aggressing or being aggressed, you know, and that's where determinations can happen of like, maybe there are Xenos in the area, or maybe there's another kind of alien or something or a person, and you're not actively noticing each other. So yeah. you're kind of in that stealth tactical sense. The starter kit actually comes with a bunch of tokens mm-hmm. um, and some maps and stuff like that of, of uh, for the, for the one shot that it includes. And, um, the tokens are two-sided. On one side, they have a motion sensor mm-hmm. uh, sort of radar view on them. And on the other side, it shows what it actually is, if it's a facehugger, if it's a xeno, you know, xenomorph or whatever. Right. Um, so that way you can actually put them out on the different zones on the map and say, right. like, yeah, you're picking up motion over here. Right. You know? Right. So it's I, I, I like that. Uh, I think that's something that is lacking in some other games where you may want to have that level of stress. Mm-hmm. I, I like that concept that there's like a stealth engagement time where you're still moving in an almost tactical sense, but no engagement is going on. We're, yeah. we're not in combat. You're not, you're not actively doing anything. It's all passive, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, still keeps, it keeps the tension going. As yes. Well, you know? Yes. It, it definitely keeps the feel of the game tense. Exactly. Uh, so your initiative is actually done with cards. Cool. Uh, again, like uh, like Savage Worlds, I oops, well, I'm loving this so much. Yeah. Um, one to ten. Yep. Uh, so and just like Savage Worlds, sometimes you're gonna have uh combatants that may be able to redraw their mm-hmm. initiative card. Um, you may because of uh, certain abilities or penalties draw multiple and take the best or worst of them. Um. And uh, the one thing I do love about this though is because uh, you're only using the cards one through ten. Mm-hmm. You're not like using a full deck. Is di- this also disallows simultaneous actions? So there's never a moment of right. all three of us go on fifteen. Who's got the higher decks? Like, nope. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Someone's going first. Yes. Someone may go multiple times, like the the aliens may go yeah. multiple times. Yeah. Um, and then you have within a turn, mm-hmm. um, you've got your slow action, and a fast action, or two fast actions. Are you taking notes, Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition? Yeah. Are you taking notes that you can use your action as a bonus action as well? I, okay. I, I love this. I I think this is a great way to to step into things mm-hmm. uh, and and make combat a little 
a little faster, but still give flexibility to do things. Yeah. Like a slow action is opening a door, is going after something, doing something that isn't, I'm pulling the trigger. I'm swinging a weapon. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm kicking something. You know, it's, it's the, and it's, they're spelled out pretty well. Yeah. yeah. But it, it covers a lot of area. There's, there's which a is list nice. of things too, yeah. and they're and they're explicitly spelled out, and they've got some some very codified rules for them, so mm-hmm. it's very easy to to understand as well. Yep. Um, and then uh, for like attacking, uh, you've basically just got like your your uh, under agility is ranged combat, mm-hmm. and under strength is close combat. Yep. Yep. So you'll just roll your attribute plus skill, just like always, and always remember add your stre- your stress dice. Yep. Uh, so if you are freaked out, you're going to mm-hmm. be more adrenaline pumped in combat. Yep. Um, all you have to do is get one success to hit. Yep. And then additional successes will add damage. Yep. In that case. Yep. In that case. Um, so damage. Each weapon has its has a damage value explicitly written on the on the the weapon. So like a pistol may do two damage, right? Now keeping in mind your health pool is based off your strength score, and your strength score if you are a career that favors strength maxes out at five. Right. So really, a human is going to maximum five hit points here. Yeah. And a gun may do two. So right. that's what we're dealing with. Yeah. All right. So extra successes then add extra damage. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take those two base dice and then maybe the th- two extra successes if I rolled three on my to hit because one subtract one for just the base hit. It's two extras. Right. I take all four of those dice. I roll them. Any sixes I get go straight to health. Um, armor. Acts the exact same way. It's got an armor value. That's how many dice you're going to roll to see if you can defend against the damage. And it reduces my successes. And then, you, I mean, there's also armor in there mm-hmm. that will just reduce the successes mm-hmm. on top of that, which I think is a, a great way of handling it. Like versus, straight off the top? Right, just yeah. straight off the top. So if, if I've got, you know, an armor of one, okay, if you only got you know one success, all right, boom, mm-hmm. I'm good. You know, it, it's plinking off of me. Yep, yep. And and I think that's a really good thing. But also at the same time, remember that Xenos have armor. They have carapace. Yeah. yeah. So you might be hitting them, but you're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, your, your Marines are going to do better at punching through that because they're going to be adding up more damage dice. Yeah, well, that may be the better out- outcome anyways. Something, something concentrated acid for blood. That is true. That is true. <laughs> so. Uh, and then, okay, so we, we also discussed, uh, zero health, you become broken, you roll on injury table, it's 2d6, so she technically a d66 table, uh, where you take one of the dice as the tens digit and one of the dice as the, uh, uh, as the ones digit, um, and a lot of the results, actually only four of the results on the entire table are mm-hmm. death. Yeah. A lot of them are injuries, and a lot of them do, like, some sort of stat penalty to you. Um, which is interesting because it allows you to continue play, but it initiates what we usually refer to as a death spiral. Right, 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 right. Where you become less capable of dealing with things, you incur more injuries, which right. makes you less capable of dealing things, which makes you incur more injuries. Right. And what's interesting is when we talk about uh, the attacks on the uh, Xeno side, uh, and even some of the other Xeno-like creatures, th- you roll on a random table of what they do. And then there might be damage related. Like they may att- they may attempt to uh, t- uh, grab you mm-hmm. and drag you away. Yeah, they may just make a slash at you or knock a weapon out of your hand. Like there's a whole list of things besides eviscerate. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Or spit acid I mean, or whatever. Keep in mind their entire life cycle depends upon capturing people and cocooning them. Correct. So that they can serve as hosts for more aliens. Right. Well, I mean, food scarce. Yep. So, but. Uh, yeah, I, I I like that it is not just straight damage. Mm-hmm. It is it is a random moment in the hallway. So you've got these things rushing at you, but you don't know what's going to come out of them. Yeah, exactly. You know, they may drag you off into the darkness to be maybe to be rescued later. Maybe, which could be cool. You yep. know, yep, give you a chance. Uh, and then uh, we mentioned ammo earlier. Uh, was not tracked explicitly. Uh, so remember that you're always rolling stress dice. Yep. Every single to every single roll. So if any of your stress dice come up as a one, it also indicates your clip is empty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you may end up, in addition, possibly to making a panic check, uh, you may have to also you may be out of ammo. Yep. You may have, and and, and you may have just reloaded last turn. 
Yeah. But because you're so stressed out, you may be firing wildly and you may have just emptied the entire clip. It's you know, that whole like Or it didn't load properly, you know. Uh it's 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 like that scene of Hudson, you know, mm-hmm. when they're they're closing in on him and he's just firing off his pulse rifle. God, you want some? You want some of this? That Go number's just rolling yeah. down. And he's just firing wildly down the hall, you know. Yep. Short controlled bursts, Hudson. Yep, yep, yep. Well, again, crazed. Mm-hmm. Um, there is ship to ship combat. I was really impressed there with is, that. I I did not know that that was going to be in there. Yeah. When I ran across, I was like, "Hey, nice." Uh, it's kind of cool, actually. It reminded me when I read over it of uh, it, I'm going to date myself here. Have you ever played Crimson Skies by Fossa? I wish I did. Because we've talked about it a few times. Mm-hmm. So I still got the box set sitting on my uh, uh on my on my uh. Uh, shelf, so I, I should. Were you going to say credenza? I... Yes. <laughs> uh, no, we've been building IKEA stuff. You so really I was going to say Kallax, but uh... I mean that counts. Honestly, yeah. people can understand what that is. Um, but uh, in that it is double blind. Mm-hmm. Um, in uh, you you basically so you've got five crew stations. Um, between like piloting and gunning and engineering and mm-hmm. navigation and stuff like that. Sure. Um, and so you've got. Different places for different for different characters to uh, apply their talents to. Right. It requires different types of roles from them, so everybody can kind of go where their where their where their strengths and weaknesses are and, and right. contribute. Um, but then you and your opponent basically kind of declare your actions at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like you'll write them down and reveal them at the same time. Yep. And so you, there's nobody's reacting to the other mm-hmm. necessarily. Right. You may predict that the other person is maybe going to flee or maybe going to try to close with you or whatever. Right. But you don't know until right. until you both kind of flip over your moves and that's what happens. Yep, yep. I mean, it's it's funny that, like, when you play uh, nautical ship-to-ship combat, mm-hmm. you're dealing with the same kind of situation where you've got drift, you've got all kinds of stuff. It's just happening in slow motion. Like, you don't make a quick turn. Oh, yeah. That's not going to happen without revealing all kinds of actions that you're doing to do that. Exactly. So, And yeah. keeping in mind, too, I mean, like, the, the reason it's like that is because you can't look at and read your opponent. Mm-hmm. Like, if I were to draw a gun on you right now, like, mm-hmm. you would see me move my body in a lot of different ways. My yep. shoulder would roll in a certain There's way. A lot my of hand give. would go towards my gun. My eyes would be doing something. Like, you can read all that body language. You can see me tense up before I even make the move for it. Mm-hmm. So you know I'm about to spring into action. Yep. And you can react to that. You may be able to do something ever before I get the gun out of the holster. You don't have that luxury with a spaceship. Yeah. What what are you reading? Right. You well, know? and uh, it always takes me back. Things like that always take me back to like Hunt for Red October. Yeah. Where you're, crazy Ivan. Exactly. Exactly. Like you 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 hear what's going on and you've got to react instantaneously. Of like, okay, well, what are we going to do? I don't know what he. Where is he at? Like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna drop ballast or we're gonna uh you know we're gonna add ballast, drop and shut engines down. We're gonna drift right by them, mm-hmm. below them. Okay. Everybody, be real quiet. Did they fire up their engines yet? Not yet. Okay. Yep. You know, that, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Exactly. I, I love that kind of stuff. But the big thing that I, I really like about the inclusion of space combat, though, is that, um, I mean, aside from any rules that it might use, is that mm-hmm. it really opens the campaign space up. Yes. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit later, but just the the idea that you can really kind of use this rule set for a grim space faring setting without ever including the eponymous aliens. It's got a very complete set of rules, and you never have to see a single single xenomorph. We'll get more into that. There's more of that, but we'll get into that. Let's talk about the aliens. aliens. <laughs> you know, com- comes with full graphic hands up aliens. Uh huh. Because because it's it is aliens. It's it's on the cover, and I think that's one of the things that got me was is that like coming into this universe, there are so many people, especially the ones who are excited about it, who know about the engineers, who know about xenomorphs, who know about how they react and what the problems. These big blockbuster multi million dollar movies. Yeah, and And I think in in my mind, and even looking through some stuff, a lot of people had problems with running this game. Because people were expecting aliens at every turn. Mm-hmm. So, like, players who were playing Colonial Marines in their campaign immediately made sure that they were constantly carrying a flamethrower. Yeah. You know, and had armor and were skilled up for shooting, you know, so that they were gun bunnies waiting for the xenomorphs. Mm-hmm. And, like, in every turn, like, they were preparing themselves. If there was some noise, they were flipping out their, you know, 
their motion trackers and they're like, okay, there's something here. And like, you're just in a research facility walking around. Why are you pulling out your motion tracker? Mm-hmm. Like, there are people here. Yes, you can see them moving around. Yeah. You know, like, but it's alien. Like, uh, yes, yes, it is. It's Dungeons and Dragons. It's not like every five feet you're uncovering a bush to see if there's a dungeon. Or a dragon. Or, 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 or staring to the skies because the thing flying over might be a dragon. Yeah. So, exactly. and I, I, I think that's where it does a little disservice to itself. Um, but I also think that comes down to the presentation of yeah. the, of the yeah. storyteller. Uh, and I think, I think actually the, the, the one shots actually do a lot of really good things for this too. Because mm-hmm. the one shots, um, very slowly roll things out. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, uh, I was, I was looking at a review, a heavy spoiler laden, you know, uh, review for, uh, one of the one shots called Chariot of the Gods. Yes. Okay. And it involved going aboard a research ship where they were doing a bunch of research on, uh, some of the black goo that, mm-hmm. uh, the the engineers brought in in the uh, the Prometheus and Covenant movies. Yes, um, and it's sort of a primordial stuff that like life is created from, and that's kind of where the aliens came from. Was they right. were created from these things, uh, and uh, so of course all sorts of like weird ass mutations start taking place. But there's a lot of other twists in the story as it unfolds, where it's not just go on ship get assaulted by monsters, right. fight monsters, hopefully survive and then leave. Right. There are betrayals, there's intrigues, a couple of the players' uh, hidden agendas are um, run very countercurrent to anyone yes. else getting out of there alive right. uh, for various reasons. Um, and then there's there's also a couple plot twists where when one thing seems like A, it is really B. Right. And so if you begin to react to it like A and then it becomes B, you're like... Oh, we miscalculated. Yep, yep, and and I think those well written turns are always fantastic. Yes, um, and it's it's it takes a lot to write those in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading one guy's. Uh, he wrote a, uh, a a campaign, but he opened the campaign uh, with the players going to a research facility where they were looking at xenomorph bodies. So xenomorphs were everywhere. Mm-hmm. And he basically inundated the characters with the fact that there was dead xenomorphs everywhere, not a single living one that they could find. Mm-hmm. And they were there to review the death of a synth. That was it. Someone had murdered a synth or he had died. They didn't know, but mm-hmm. no one had any different information. And the whole story was about that murder. It was a murder mystery. Now, were there eventually a, a face hugger in it? Yes. Mm-hmm. But that was because the person who killed that synth was a female doctor who fell in love with him and he didn't have any feelings for her and felt that she was jeopardizing the research and was going to send her away mm-hmm. because she couldn't keep her quality. And so she killed him so that she wouldn't he she wouldn't be sent away. And then immediately went insane, saying that basically she was going to complete the research because it was what he wanted. Yeah, yeah. And that was the real story behind everything. But meanwhile, you've got all this other layers of intrigue that's going on and people lying and research facility people trying to to cover up other things that they're doing, little nefarious things like drugs and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, stealing money. And so... Everything feels like the next person has got an egg in a box that they're trying to get out of there or something like that when that's not the case at all. It's this crazy doctor who's doing everything. Yep. So yep. the plot twists are good. I think it's it, I think it's definitely there and you can utilize that fear of xenomorphs and kind of lure them into a false sense of security before you drop it on them. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, but the, the the book, uh, so if you are going to include Xenomorphs, uh, the book does, uh, it, like I said, include like nine different variants of the adult Xenomorphs. Um, and they kind of draw that from all the different uh, the different movies. And a lot of the uh, sort of inferred canon um, supplementary stuff. Uh, I also know that they consider the video game uh, Alien Isolation to be canon. Yes, yes. Uh, and so like... Uh, They've they've really drawn from all of those sources, and so you've got a wide variety of the xenomorphs in there. Um, they, they do go into quite a bit of detail on the engineers, but like I said, they don't have any stats for them because they're long extinct. Um, but uh, if you want to write in sort of any influence or whatever into your uh, uh, your campaigns, all that information is there. And uh, they also have uh, apparently like four other 
extrasolar species that mm-hmm. you can add in that are not the xenomorphs as well. Right, right. And I'm sure, though there are no rules for it, um, for actually like creating your own stuff, you can absolutely look at these five sources of information and draw some conclusions about how to stat some of your own yeah, stuff out. Definitely could. And uh, maybe make some interesting threats for your own campaign. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the other thing. When you're building out the campaign, they do give you... Uh, a very they give you a very good detail of what was going on in the galaxy. You've got mm-hmm. your six main factions in a kind of cold war that they're posi- positioning themselves around certain situations that are going on in the in the universe. Um, you've got you know space truckers, you've got miners, you've got corporations and people looking at other things. You've got this odd balance between um, the corporations and uh, the uh, Earth Federation, basically, mm-hmm. where things are now at a tense point because of rumors and conjecture that's going on. You've got rogue technology. You've got clearly science experiments gone wrong. Pawns on all sides of the playing field, mm-hmm. you know, being used. It's There's a lot there to play with. And also friggin' aliens. And friggin' aliens. So <laughs> that is that is true. Um uh, and it's worth noting that actually the the game well, like in kind of in in the the campaign section does uh, suggest not immediately just throwing xenomorphs at everybody. God no, they're dangerous as heck. Yeah, not only are they dangerous as heck, but it's it's also kind of the like the climactic thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like build up to it a little bit. You yeah. know, don't don't yeah. just throw aliens at them. Like like drag the suspense out a little bit. You know. Yeah, I mean, if it's the first game game in your campaign, take some time with it. Like, yeah. like, let the first part of your story be the discovery. Let your second start of the start of your story be the fear, mm-hmm. and let your third part of the story be the success. Yeah, yeah you know, absolutely. and and just think of the first three movies like that. And uh, success is relative. I got, I got actually thinking a lot when I was reading this about um, uh, Alien Isolation. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I never, I never beat the game. Right. Uh, but dead honest, it was too anxiety inducing for me. I one hundred percent agree. I do not play it for that same reason. Uh, but it, what a brilliant game! Oh yeah, don't absolutely doubt. brilliant game. And I was watching some let's plays of it. But like, I played probably a good like hour and a half of that movie, and the alien never showed up. Mm. Like it, you really have to get in. Like it really ramps up the tension that that you know there's this going on in the space station and this going on, and there's also maybe something fishy going on with the corporation having shut the place down and. Yep. And what was that that moved in the shadows, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Why did this just suddenly break? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, all right, I think we, we kind of raked this one over the coals a little bit. What do you think this play, this, this thing does well? So, we kind of talked about um, Call of Cthulhu and Savage World. It is fast. It is fun. It is furious. It has all the components it needs to have a rough and rugged sci-fi universe Mm -hmm. it gives you all of the pieces you need to have stress and survival and lethality and the feel of that dark harsh world that you're in the vacuum of space if you will absolutely um and that concern um and honestly it it does a beautiful job of setting you in the aliens universe oh it really does it really does honestly um uh, i mean especially like if if you've if you've seen any of the source material any of the like the books and whatnot um provided for this role-playing game they're beautifully detailed beautifully laid out the artwork is amazing um and honestly, I think the gameplay, like you said, does a, a wonderful job of capturing all of that. So from from top to bottom, if you are looking to be immersed in the Alien universe, uh, this does a great job of doing it from both an in-game and out-of-game perspective. Yeah, I, I I like that a lot of the rules are very simplistic. They're still dice-based for the, for, you know, besides the uh, initiative. Um and that you could extract rules right out of this mm-hmm. uh, very simply and throw them into Savage World. Sure. Um, as you needed to. If you if you needed to have a more stress-filled game, you could easily add stress to it. Yeah. Um, and they've they've done a great job. I mean, there's you could use the rules in this to play a lot of different settings. Um, and and still ha- if you want to have that more grim, concerning reality. I mean, it's I, I will say that this system sits between. Um, uh not fate um uh 
Why can't I think of the Jengatar? Um, Dread. Dread. Sits between Dread and Savage Worlds as far as its grimness. Because your health is very light. Yeah. And your stress goes up high, and it's a mechanical stress. Yeah. So I think in that sense, it it adds rules to Dread, basically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it puts it in that place where you you can recover from it, and you can have moments of pause and a little bit of levity, but they're not, the game is not designed for that. It is designed to keep you on the edge. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. So, and, and puts you to that edge relatively fast. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, all right, so what does... Uh, I'll what let you, you crack you out the do well? concern. Start. start. <laughs> all right, so some concerns with the... With the um, so much like Call of Cthulhu, if you're not into the horror, stress, panic, you know, lethal gaming style, then, you know, Alien is definitely not going to be for you. Uh, just like Call of Cthulhu wouldn't be for you. Um, the mechanics are really wrapped around the horror elements, and they're pretty inextricable. So, if you're looking for a nice, relaxing, light-hearted game, this is not the game you're, you want to reach for. This is a game that gets the adrenaline and the anxiety going, and you ride that high to get your fun, rather yes. than rather than just everything being light-hearted Very much, and, cool yes. and heroic. Yeah. Um, and like many other rules light systems, uh, those looking for a little more crunch or detail, uh, you're not going to find it here. This is a no. very cinematic, very fast, uh, very loose role playing system mm-hmm. um, designed for uh, to, to to give very cinematic play um, and uh, uh, interpretive rules. Uh, it really focuses on the drama rather than the details. So if you are someone who likes hit charts and you're someone who doesn't like that zones are abstract and you need to know whether that, that alien is exactly 15 or 10 feet away from you, mm-hmm. um, then this also may, you may, you may find this frustrating. Yeah. Also tracking hit points aren't going to be a thing. Yeah. You're basically going to know that you hit it and it's bleeding, mm-hmm. which is more than you need to know because you know, it's going down soon after. Yep. Just like if your friend is bleeding or injured, you'll know. Mm-hmm. Like, that's pretty plain. Um, I'm going to leave that the next piece off because I want to answer the question because I think it segues a little too well for us. Oh, uh, you want to answer the question rather than yeah. talk about the next bullet point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, sure, Because sure. I think it fits, so. All right, so we had one question this uh, this week's from Knox in the Box. Um, so this question might be a little more in, uh, for interstellar games in general. That's fair. When playing in a campaign that might have multiple worlds and planets that players travel to regularly, how detailed do you need to be with them? World building is tough enough with one planet. Do you simplify whole planets down to something like the equivalent of a big city in your standard, quote, one world setting? Thoughts? So I don't think it matters where you're going or how big wherever you're going is. I think what it matters is what is within the purview of the players. Agreed. Agreed. So if I'm heading to the mountains, I don't need to describe the caverns and the miners who are there and the exquisite you know, history of each one of the peaks and who has climbed them and how tall they are and, and the fauna and flora. All. No, you don't need to go into that. You're talking about the path that they're on and if they have any direct knowledge mm-hmm. of that particular area that they're in and i think that's the same with interstellar if i'm going to another planet you're going to give a very basic thing you know is it an earth-like planet does it have an atmosphere these are very basic literally like five million mile range scans that you're going to do on it and then there's going to be a landing site and that's what's going to matter is wherever they're going so i'll i'll i'm going to give you a metaphor sure um if you're going to visit tokyo Mm mm-hmm you need to know where the airport is. Mm-hmm. You need to know how to get to your hotel. Mm-hmm. You need to go to wherever your destination is. Yep. Okay. Uh, and you need to know how to get, you know, maybe food. Yeah. Uh, maybe a couple of restaurants around your area. Yep. You do not need to know the history of Japan. No. <laughs> you know, uh, and you certainly don't need to know the rest of, uh, you know, the, the rest of the world. No. Like, it's it's basically what's in what's in the the scope of your of your uh of your your player's view like yeah. you said and i think anything else beyond that might be just npc interaction yeah absolutely and um, world interaction the other thing to keep in mind too uh, and this goes kind of double for the alien setting because uh, i i know that it's kind of baked into the setting as far as their own individual lore goes mm-hmm. um is that a lot of these planets are hostile environments that they're terraforming yeah um, and so pretty much every 
planet that you're going to come across is essentially a frontier town. Yeah. So you may not need to build more than one city because there may not be more than one city on the entire planet. If that. If that. A lot of times, this is the researcher's building site for the terraforming. Yeah, we're not we're not even talking city. Like uh, in the second in the second alien movie, uh, the yeah. Aliens. Yeah. Um, it was a little settlement called Hadley's Hope. Right. And it was what did they say about three hundred people? Yeah, if that. If if that it was yeah. it was in it was in the low hundreds. Yeah. Of of the number of people that were in that colony. Yeah, people are expensive to get to a site. Yeah, yeah. There was they're, a re- they're expensive to feed. They're expensive. To, you you bring a bare minimum crew to get that job done mm-hmm. to run the machines and make sure they keep running, and that's right. it. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why synths were used as much as they were mm-hmm. for the as long as they were. They were the ones who started things. Yeah. And and went to the far ends of the galaxy and did the things that humans didn't do. Mm-hmm. But then they were sh- basically cut short, and that was it. They were done. Yep. Humans then picked up afterward. So uh, I would say, you know, in, in, in Interstellar games, you're, you're actually kind of relieved from doing all that world yeah. building that you might have to do in a fantasy setting or something like that. Because, quite honestly, 300 people living in one small little research station, like, yeah, that's that's that it. Makes... That's your world building. Yeah. The rest of it's barren rock and sulfurous, inv- and sulfurous atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't think you have to work very hard. I think as a storyteller, you need to know what the truths are. Mm-hmm. But I think beyond that, really, just as far as the player can see. Yes, exactly. Is what they get to know about. Exactly. And I, I, I do think that that steps into the bullet point that I avoided a little bit. And that is is that this game requires proper player expectation. Yes. That is the one thing where this game fails, but kind of not. Well, I don't say it, it. I don't say it fails. Is that it's a, it's kind of an extra requirement, and I would say this is for the entire genre. I agree. I would say the same thing about Call of Cthulhu. I would say the same thing about really any horror setting. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that is it requires buy-in from your players. Okay, I, I've 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 talked to a number of people um, about horror gaming before, and. Uh, one of the main reasons I haven't gotten into horror gaming is because most people I game with don't enjoy it. Um, and one of the the common answers I get when I when I bring up the idea of playing a horror game is, "Oh, I'm I'm just not impressed by that. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not scared by it." Yeah. You know, you you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to get me to sit at a table and be scared of describing you know an alien in the room with me. Like that's not going to freak me out. You know. Um, but I, I think I think maybe that's that's looking at things a little uh, skewed. To me, I think it requires player buy-in. It requires the player to show up and decide to be scared. To decide to look at things from the standpoint of being mortal and afraid and smaller than the thing that is trying to eat him, and and play into it. You know, understand that they're playing a part in a horror game and act that out a little bit. You know, it's it's not always about um, being the hero of the story. It's not always about, you know, coming who's who's going to come out on top or who's going to win or being victorious or anything like that. Like, right. Sometimes having your character suffer a grisly death at the hands of a horrible, a horrible alien can be amazing no i if it's story told correctly yeah and i i think know? that this game gives you that level of heroic that players want to have but there's so many players who don't want this level of stress yeah i think right now specifically there's a lot of people who don't want stress in their their games at all sure um and they're looking for the stardew valley of role-playing games this yeah. is not it yeah if you if you are going to run this for your friends make sure that they distinctly understand the rules that session zero should be stressful not zeta more stressful but stressful mm-hmm. you know uh one of the best things that i read about was a guy who did a session zero to get all the players involved and they were all colonial marines it was you know marines pilot um and uh a uh, a command person and the first thing he did was he put them on a failed drop. Basically, they, they started in, and he said, uh, you guys had left from the uh, uh, from the ship. You're in a, a landing craft uh, on your way to a very routine pickup of actually equipment uh, before your next mission. As you enter the atmosphere, your, uh, your engine fails. Hmm. You're in free fall. 
Welp. And they're like, you know, the pilot's immediately like, well, we're a lawn dart now. <laughs> Pick a plot on the ground, because that's where we're going to make a nice red splash down. And they had to figure it out, and all of them are rolling stress to, to, to get positions on the ship and make sure that they can get the engineering up and everything like that. And they pulled it off, you know, before they hit. Sure, sure. But he's just like, okay, everybody feel how that felt? Okay, that's the game. That's the game. That's, that's the game. That's what we're playing. And they're all like, can we get like a week to think about this? <laughs> Was, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, man. I I think it's yeah. fair. You've really got to know what you're stepping into with this. So, that's and I say this because it is a perfect segue. We have a topic for next week. <laughs> yeah. So next week uh, we are going to continue to elaborate on this topic of managing pro- proper player expectations and how that is a vital part of everybody having fun at the table, both in and out of character. You can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave on Instagram at st underscore conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave. And uh, join us up on our discord. You can find that link on our Twitter as well as our website, storytellerconclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members, Knox in the Box, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, and Huluview. All of our named members, we thank you every single month for assisting us. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. Uh, you can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warrior by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, which is Only Our Footprints in the Sand uh, by Midair Machine, which you're listening to right now, can be found at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout out as always to our uh, families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for loving and supporting us. Thank you, Sean. All of our <laughs> friends who've sat with us at our tables over the years uh, to give us all these great stories to share with you. And you, every single one of our listeners, we love you so much. Love you. And remember, in space, no one can hear you scream. Ah.